We've been looking the last couple of weeks on Sunday morning at our relationship with the Lord. And tonight we want to look at another aspect of it found in John chapter 10 about the sheep and the shepherd. Now we've seen this morning our relationship to God as the vine and the branch. Well, this is another metaphor that Jesus uses to describe the connection that we have with Him. And one thing that I notice about all of the parables in the Bible and all of the analogies, and I think you've noticed it too, is that when Jesus gives parables or analogies, He uses very simple down-to-earth things, doesn't He? Usually things about the outdoors, agriculture, the vine and the branch, sheep and shepherd, a sower sowing seed on the ground, bearing forth good fruit or no fruit. And He uses very simple, outdoorsy kind of things because the people that He was speaking to were very simple, down-to-earth, outdoorsy, agricultural type people. And one thing that I'm attracted to in Jesus Christ is His simplicity. He didn't get all bogged down with words and phrases and theology that no one could understand. He was very simple and forthright. And he taught very simply and gave simple analogies. And so the scripture records that the common people heard and followed him gladly. Now, Jesus in chapter 10 describes us as sheep. Now, depending on how much you know about farming, this could either be of great comfort or a direct insult. And I believe that it was no accident that God chose to call us sheep. From the people that I've talked to who've actually raised sheep, they said, you know, Skip, sheep are the stupidest animals on the farm. They require more constant attention and tending and caring than any other farm animal. They can't just care for themselves or be left by themselves. They require constant, detailed, meticulous caring. So I find it humorous. And actually quite comforting that Jesus calls me a sheep because that means that he has to lead me. That's his responsibility. But from the shepherds that I've spoken with, they said, you know, the the mob instincts, the behavioral patterns are much the same. The stubbornness, the stupidity of a sheep. Uh, Very interesting that we're called sheep. He says in verse 1, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens. And the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. Now in those days when they would keep sheep, at night they would bring them in to a communal common sheepfold in town. And at night, everyone's sheep in town would be in one large common gathering, common sheepfold. And there would be a large, strong door that was locked with a key. And there was one guardian that was in charge of the key. No one else could get in. Now, Jesus says, He who tries to climb in, verse 1, some other way, the same is a thief and robber. Now, at the time Jesus was speaking this, there was a lot of opposition against Him. The Pharisees were against Him. The Sadducees were against Him. He was experiencing the opposition of the leadership of Israel. And they were sort of trying to rip the people off from Jesus. Trying to dissuade them from following Him. Because they themselves were stubborn and opposed to the gospel message. They tried to create a lot of problems by disrupting the people who were following Him. Jesus says, He who tries to come in some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper will open. The sheep will hear his voice. 
And he calls his own sheep by name, leads them out, verse 4. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. It says, the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. In the eastern countries, actually, the shepherds would have their own peculiar call to call a sheep. Even today, if you go to the Mideast, you'll see these shepherds with these strange, peculiar sheep calls. Sort of a sing-song kind of a voice. Um, and the sheep are familiar. They've been well-trained to hear that voice. You know how it is with a pet? Have you ever talked to a pet? You don't talk to him in a normal human voice. You don't say, um, come over here, little puppy. We always have this weird... Hi, little puppy. Oh. And we, don't we? We all have this peculiar little pet voice that we call our little doggies with and all of these little nicknames. Well, in sheepdom, they sort of do the same thing. They've got their own little peculiar voices. And what was interesting, in the morning, since all of, let's say we were in the town, all of our sheep would be together, you've got to be able to tell them apart pretty quickly. So a shepherd would stand at a distance open up the door to the sheepfold and come up with that weird little cry and that peculiar little yell and all the sheep would come out and gather because they were trained to hear the voice. Now Jesus said, they will by no means follow a stranger but will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. When sheep are well trained, they can distinguish between God's voice And someone else's voice. There are so many voices in this world crying for our attention as sheep. Now being sheep, basically we could have the tendency to follow after them. Because a lot of us are not too bright. Including myself. And because there's so many voices and they might sort of sound the same. If we're well trained in hearing the voice of God, we can detect what's real and what's fake. And as it says in verse 5, we're not going to listen to the voice of a stranger because we won't know the voice of a stranger. There's been many studies done on the cults, especially the rise of cults in America. And they have found that the cults that have risen up in the United States, that most of the people involved have religious backgrounds. They've come from many mainline churches. But in studying those, the complaint has been that the churches have been too dead and institutionalized and not able to relate. And they never were fed anything that was solid that they could stick with, that they could grow by. They were never fed the Word of God. And when you're not fed the Word of God, you can't hear God's voice because God speaks to us through His Word. Now, if sheep are well trained in the Word of God, they're going to be able to tell a fake When he comes along, they're going to be able to detect the truth. We're not going to listen to strangers' voices. That is the importance of knowing God's voice in His Word. That is the importance of becoming well-trained and going through the whole Scripture and knowing what God says in the Old and the New Testament. The doctrines of the Scripture being well-grounded, rooted in God's Word. So that when all those voices come along, we'll say, No, that doesn't sound like Jesus to me. It's interesting that some of the bank tellers, it used to be this way in California, the way 
they are taught, since a lot of counterfeit $20 bills go across the counter, seems to be the most common is a $20 bill for some reason. Since there are so many counterfeits, they are taught to study an authentic $20 bill at very close proximity, very intense, go over every aspect, every point of that $20 bill. Learn what it looks like. So that when a fake comes along, they're so familiar with the real thing, they can go, oh, this isn't real. That's the importance of knowing God's voice in His Word. You know, I think it's good to study and learn about the different cults and isms, but I don't think that should detract us so much that we're not getting into the Word and learning the shepherd's voice. Because the best way to tell a cult is to know the real thing. And when you know the real thing and a counterfeit comes along, you're going to go, you know, a red light's going to come on. You're going to go, no way. That's not the shepherd's voice. That's the voice of a stranger. I'm not going to listen to it. Then you can research it. But it's important to know the authentic. Then verse 6. It says, Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things that he spoke to them. Before we get into verse 7, since Jesus deals with another aspect, there is a scripture, in fact, I'd like you to turn to it, in Ezekiel chapter 34. And many times, pastors are called shepherds. In fact, the word pastor actually means a sheep tender. That's what it means. And in verse 34 in the Old Testament, God is coming against those who do not train people as shepherds training their flocks. Now, there's two basic kinds of shepherds. And now I'm referring to pastors of churches. There's two basic kinds of shepherds. Those who are interested in feeding the sheep and those who are interested in fleecing the sheep. All that they can get from them. All of their money, all of their resources, squeezing the sheep. But then there's those who are interested in feeding the sheep. And it says in Ezekiel 34, And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. They're fleecing the flock. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. To the weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains on every hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth. No one was seeking or searching for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, the Lord God, surely because my flock has become a prey, my flock became food for every beast of the field. Because there was no shepherd, nor did my shepherds search for my flock. But the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds. I will require my flock at their hand. I will cause them to cease feeding the sheep, and the shepherds shall feed themselves no more, for I will deliver my flock from their mouths, that they may no longer be food for them. Then God goes on to describe that He will take those sheep and place them in verdant green pastures, where they will be fed and nourished and taught His truths. 
Jesus, after his resurrection, came to Peter and he said, Peter, do you love me? Oh, yes, Lord. Of course I love you. You know what Jesus said? Feed my sheep. And he asked him that three times. And three times he said, feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. And so Peter, in writing his epistle in 1 Peter chapter 5, he says, pastors or shepherds, feed the flock of God of which God has made you an overseer. Not by constraint, but willingly. Feeding them. And he says this, for when the chief shepherd shall appear, he's going to require them. The chief shepherd, giving the oversight to those who are upon the earth as shepherds. But the shepherds should feed because the sheep need to be able to hear God's voice. Why? Because there's a lot of rip-offs. There's a lot of strangers and a lot of voices and they all sound very appealing. But Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they will not hear the voice of a stranger. You know, the early church did this. I believe that we must set priorities and the early church did set their priorities and because they kept those priorities, I believe that's why God blessed the early church. So it says in the first part of Acts, and they continually devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to prayer, fellowship. And the Lord added daily to the church such as should be saved. Now that's the priority. We should be getting together to be fed so that we can hear the shepherd's voice and then go out and obey the shepherd's voice. We are in training. This is God's sheep pen, so to speak. And God wants to be able to train us to hear his voice so that we can obey his will by applying his word to our lives. This is his pen. He is adding to the flock daily. We don't have to be worried about that. The sheep don't have to get together and have finance meetings on how to build a bigger sheep pen. We can just be satisfied and just our priority can be feasting on the word of God. And let God add to the church daily such as should be saved. Then in verse 7, Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And he will go in and out and find pasture. Now, in this chapter, we're speaking about two different types of sheepfolds. The first one we've already described to you, that's the communal sheepfold in which all of the people would gather their flocks and bring them into one central location at night. We'd all lock them up together. But in the warm months, in the warm seasons, the shepherds would often lead their flocks to the hillside so that they could graze in open spaces. And while they were out in the hillsides, instead of bringing them back into the town, they would often build little sheep pens on the hillsides. And it simply consisted of a fence that had walls, but no door. And the sheep would all be herded into this little sheep pen at night. And the shepherd would place himself and lay himself down in front of that opening. He would literally become the door of the sheepfold. Now he did this for two reasons. One, so the sheep couldn't get out. And two... So the wolves couldn't get in. Now, sheep were bound to go astray because sheep are pretty stupid and they want to go their own way and they just sort of bounce around from place to place. And a shepherd always was on duty. He could never rest. He had to constantly be looking out for those sheep. So he'd put them in the pen and he'd lay down in front of them. 
And when that little sheep wanted to go astray, he'd come up against the shepherd. Couldn't go any further. Because the sheep always had the tendency to go astray. You know, why is it that so many of us often try to see what our limits are in the Lord, so to speak? You know, I've had so many questions by people who come up and say, Hey, is it okay for me to be a Christian and still do this? Can I still get away with this and be saved? And I always wonder, why are you asking that? What is your motivation? That's like saying, how close can I get to the fire and still not get burned? I mean, really, what kind of an attitude is that? It's not a very diligent one or a very godly one, is it? You know, what can I do and still be saved and how much sin can I get involved in before I fall over the edge? Like those little sheep trying to test our limits. Instead of saying, how close can I walk with the Lord? How much can I pour out my heart to be like Jesus? That's the proper attitude. Oh, how I want to obey my shepherd. And that's the right attitude. Instead of saying, what can I get away with and still be a sheep? It's like going fishing. Throw that little hook out there. And that fish may see that worm on the end of the hook. Now, if he's a smart fish, and I'm, this is fish psychology here, <laughs> that fish may see that little worm and go, you know, that's a juicy worm. But there's a hook behind it. I can see the little silver jetting out from behind it. But I'm just going to swim by it a little bit, maybe nibble the end of the worm. I'm not going to get too close, though I've been around. So he may toy around with that worm back and forth a few times. You know, eventually he's going to get caught. He's going to nibble a little bit too close and then he's going to feel that yank of the cord against his throat. And he'll be caught. Just like those little sheep who are bound to go astray. Jesus said, I am the door to the sheep. And then in verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he shall be saved. Also, the shepherd would lay in front of the door or the opening actually being the door to protect the sheep from the coyotes, the wolves, all the animals that would try to eat up the sheep. He would be their protection. A wolf, an animal couldn't get into the sheep unless he first went over the shepherd's body. And the shepherd was there to protect them. The shepherd would wear a belt and around his belt, actually hooked to his belt, he would have a staff. And he would take off the staff and at one end it did have a pull a hoop kind of a thing on it that he could pull the sheet back in. But the other end, he had nails, spikes. So when a wolf come, he could beat the face of the wolf. Tell him to get out of there. He would actually defend the sheep, being the door of the sheepfold. Now this is a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the door. Now that comforts me because the Bible says, Satan is like a roaring lion Roaming around, seeking whom he can devour. He's looking for those tender little sheep. Licking his chops. But he can't get to us unless he first comes through Jesus. Because Jesus is the door. He's the protection. Now, as long as we keep the shepherd between us and the wolf, we're okay. And I'm reminded as I look at Satan rearing his ugly head, ready to pounce on me, I'm grateful that Jesus is there and I want to keep it that way. Because as soon as Satan comes in, Jesus just rip his head off. That's of great comfort to me because I know many people who don't, for some reason, want to keep Jesus between them and Satan. In fact, I've seen people 
have a yelling match at the devil. And Satan, I want you to know right now. And it, they go to a five minute conversation with the guy. Which I think is useless. I'd rather just, as it says in the book of Jude, even Michael the archangel dared not bring a railing accusation against Satan, but rather said, the Lord rebuke you. I'd like to leave it at that. I don't want to yell at him. Say, put up your dukes, devil. I want to just say, the Lord rebuke you. Keep Jesus between me and him. The Lord rebuke you. Jesus is between us. So then he says in verse 8, All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep didn't hear them. I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Notice, and he will go in and out and find pasture. Now this was a well-known Hebrew phrase, to go in and out. It describes a life that is secure and safe. Actually, if a man could go in and out, as it was said in the Hebrew, going in and out, without fear, it meant that his country was at peace. One of the blessings that God gives to the children of Israel in the book of Deuteronomy, I believe it's chapter 32, maybe it's 28, I don't know. But he says, the blessings of an obedient life, one of them is that you will be able to come in and out with peace as a result of obeying the Lord. Speaking of a life filled with peace and security, because Jesus is the door, is that protection. And then he says in verse 10, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now I have come that they may have life, and that they may have it more abundantly. Literally this word, have it more abundantly, is have something in super abundance until it overflows. Jesus says, I have come that they might have a super abundant life that is overflowing. And that's why I love it so much, just to come here as we were worshiping tonight as Wendell was sharing in music. Just that celebration, that spirit of celebration before the Lord. Super abundant life that's overflowing. You know, Christianity needs to be presented like that. Because so often it's presented as if Jesus said, I've come that they might have bummer. And bummer more abundantly. With the sad faces... And the somber looks, and we need to be serious about many things. In fact, everything. But that seriousness doesn't mean that we can't portray our relationship with God in a celebration form. Abundant life. I come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. This world is very insipid and flat apart from Jesus Christ. I think it's very boring apart from Jesus Christ. That is why pleasure-seeking is such a big business. It's because people are never satisfied, so they always want more and more and something bigger. And doing more things, something to fill the need, the flat, insipid taste that the world has left them. Jesus said, I've come that they might have an abundant, flowing, overflowing kind of a life. Beautiful to be a sheep. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. But he who is a hireling and not the shepherd... One who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. And the hireling flees because he's a hireling and he doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I am known by my own. As a father knows me, even so I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. 
the responsibility of being a shepherd meant that if anything happened to the sheep, the shepherd had to prove what happened. In other words, let's say you were out tending a sheep. You were the shepherd. And a sheep got torn up by a wolf. The law in the Old Testament required that you'd followed that wolf and at least got some of the remains of that sheep to bring back to the owner. So that you could prove, this is what happened to your sheep. I'm accountable to you. Here it is. It was eaten up. You had to prove it. Now a hireling was different. A hireling was someone who was just hired. He was only in it for the money. He didn't own the sheep. He wasn't the shepherd over the sheep. He was just hired in to tend the sheep. Now when a wolf came, Jesus said a hireling is going to split. He's going to run. They're not his sheep. He sees a pack of wolves coming. Forget it, Jack. I'm getting out of here. And he wouldn't stick up or defend the sheep. He wouldn't fight for the protection of the sheep because he's only in it for the money. Jesus said he'll run. But the good shepherd, he's the shepherd of the sheep. He's the owner of the sheep. He'll tend. He'll look out for them. And so he says, as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. The church is sort of in double trouble. And it always has been. We've had enemies from the outside and enemies from the inside. We've had the wolves from the outside trying to persecute and destroy the church. We've had also problems from the inside. That's the hirelings. The false shepherds that it speaks about. Those who are only in it for the money. Those who aren't there to protect and lay down their life and give their life for the sheep. To only see what they can get. And when trouble comes, they run. Jesus said, but I will lay down. And this word lay down here means I will continually, constantly be laying down my life for the sheep. It's not just a one-time thing. I'm buying these sheep. They're my sheep. I lay down my life and I'll continually, constantly lay down my life for the sheep. But the hirelings are in it for the money. And there are many hirelings. As long as there's been the church, there's been hirelings or rip-offs. Those who are in it for a religious racket. And as I look at the religious rackets, you know what amazes me? is not the people who do them, but the people who listen to them and follow them. And are trapped by them. Years ago, there was a thing on the radio. This is before my time. It was only told to me. But in the early days of radio evangelism, There was a guy in, I forget where, it was in the West. And he was advertising this magic wallet. Saying that if you give to his ministry, he'll send you this magic wallet and you'll never go broke. Now what was so weird about this is he said, Now folks, worry, we really need money in this ministry. We're really hurting for funds and you need to support us. Now... When I heard that, I thought, well, now, why didn't he just one of, use one of his stupid wallets? <laughs> He'll never go broke. Although that was so strange, people followed it. People bought it. Hook, line, and sinker. The magic wallet. You know, in the early church, after the scriptures were compiled, the disciples had a book that was circulating called the Didache. Now, I don't know how you pronounce it. That's the way I pronounce it. And there was, in the Didache, a series of instructions on how to detect false prophets, hirelings. You know, I think that is a demon in it, Dan. I did it today. No, I'm just kidding. Have a deliverance service for the PA system. (coughs) 
Okay. Let's get back to the Didache, shall we? And they had these instructions on how you could detect false prophets, hirelings. And the instructions were kind of strange, but it says, if someone comes into town and says, thus saith the Lord, God has told me to stay at your place. They said, receive them into your home. But if he stays more than a allotted period of time and he mooches off of you, he's a false prophet. Now, I don't know how they came up with the criteria for this, but nonetheless, I found it very interesting. Another instruction says, Thus saith the Lord, prepare a large feast. Now, if he eats of that meal, he's a false prophet. In other words, he's doing it just so he can scrape a meal off of you. One of the rules is if that person comes into your midst and he begs for money, he's a false prophet. You know, I wish that book was around today, in circulation. He's a false prophet. A hireling, only in it for the money, not to feed the sheep. Jesus says, but I, as the shepherd, will lay down my life for my sheep. I own them, I love them, I purchase them. Then Jesus says in verse 16, He says, And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. What are the other sheep that he's speaking about? Gentiles, exactly. The primary fold was Israel. Jesus said, there's other sheep. I must bring them and make them one fold. That's us, the Gentiles. You remember Jesus said at the beginning of his ministry, I have come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's who he came from. It says, he came unto his own, that's the Jewish people, but his own would not receive him. Then afterwards, after his resurrection, he said, beginning in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, go to the uttermost parts of the earth, to all of the Gentile nations. Jesus is speaking here of you and me, gathering us into the fold. And notice what he says, I love it. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. I love that. Now, there may be many different little churches and different assemblies scattered throughout the country. And you know, I think that's neat. I was talking at lunch today. Oh, there's so many churches, so many different places. You know what? I think that's kind of neat. It's kind of nifty. Because in reality, there's different styles of worship that people like. Some people like to jump up, hit the ceiling, roll on the floor. And there's churches for those people. Some people like rigid. A lot of liturgy and Real intense, structured, organized organ and stained glass. That's fine too. And I don't think that there's one correct way to worship. Personally, I like to be a little freer in worship and let it be sometimes spontaneous and fresh with choruses. And I think a lot of you do too. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. But in actuality, it's one flock and there's one shepherd. And if we could only get that mentality, instead of saying, well, we're the true church, as you know, saying, we're all part of one flock and we have one shepherd. Let's quit arguing about non-essentials. The essential thing is that we know and love Jesus Christ. Isn't that neat? There's one shepherd. And that's who we should be looking to, is that one shepherd. And then he says, Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. 
Jesus' whole life was characterized in obedience to his father. Now he said concerning himself, I am going to lay my life down. No one can take it from me. I have the power to lay it down and take it again. Speaking of his death and resurrection. That's why I think it's wrong to say that the Romans crucified Jesus. It's wrong to say the Jews crucified Jesus. He voluntarily laid down his life as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. It was preordained. He said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down and take it again. You remember on the cross, he dismissed his spirit. He allowed it to leave. He laid down his life for the sheep. Therefore, there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, he has a demon and he's mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Jesus continues his discourse on the sheep. But I want to close there tonight. And I want to close with a beautifully done illustration called The Trial of the Wayward Sheep. And because we've been talking about that unique relationship of the sheep and the shepherd, I'd like now for us to enter into a courtroom of the trial of the wayward sheep. The prosecutor was filled with obvious anger as he stalked across the courtroom, very much like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. From time to time, he glared toward the defendant with hatred. He was mentally reviewing his strategy of attack as he grabbed his portfolio of accusations to refresh his memory on the case. The judge's presence became known in the courtroom and due honor was given him as he took his place on the bench of justice, also referred to as the throne of grace. There was a sense of awesome authority throughout the entire courtroom as the firm, sharp rap of the gavel called the courtroom session into order. Effects. Judge. First case on the docket, please. Bailiff. Prince of this world versus wayward sheep. Judge. On what conviction is this defendant charged? Bailiff. The charges brought against the wayward sheep at this time are going astray and choosing his own way, of sinning and falling short of the glory of God. Judge. Well, does the plaintiff have any further declaration? Prosecutor. After careful scrutiny and an ever-watchful eye upon the defendant, especially in times of weakness and temptation, I find numerous things to accuse him of in which I am certain he will be found guilty far beyond any reasonable doubt. I shall attempt to prove to this court that this wayward sheep is guilty of trespassing in pastures beyond the narrow way. Other sheep were thrown into thorny bushes. He was guilty of leading lambs astray and guilty of rebellion and disobedience toward the shepherd. Judge, wayward sheep, you have heard the charges brought against you in this courtroom today. How do you plead? At this point, the defense lawyer leans toward the accused and begins to speak to him in a gentle, tender voice with deepest assurance and understanding. Fear not, little sheep, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I will never leave or forsake you. So let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. If God be with you, who can be against you? My peace I give to you. Believe in God, believe also in me. Commit your ways to me. Trust in me and I will act. He then continued his tender counsel toward his client. If you plead not guilty, it would not be true. The judge is very wise and he is surely able to know from his deep wisdom that this plea would not be accurate. It is indeed very foolish to try to deceive the wisdom of the court's authority. On the other hand, if you plead guilty, that would be true indeed. But the punishment of guilt, should you have to bear it, 
would be unmistakable. Pleading guilty would hand the victory over to the prosecutor, and the verdict of guilt and death would surely be pronounced. I strongly advise you to enter a special plea that this case might be dismissed without question. I cannot, however, force you to enter the plea against your will, but I have indeed personally made full provision for your victory through this means. Judge, will the defendant please rise? A hush falls over the courtroom, and every eye is turned upon the accused. With increased anger and hatred, the accuser glares toward the defendant, and the defender as he clutches his prepared notes in readiness for his questioning and cross-examination. Judge to the defendant. How do you plead? Defendant, on the advice and support of my ever-sure defense, in whom I rest secure, I plead, I plead, I plead the blood of Jesus Christ. Judge, would the defendant please explain to the court the meaning of pleading in such a manner? Defendant, with an open heart and conscience before you, Your Honor, I cannot deny or conceal the fact that I'm a sinner. But neither can I refuse to admit that I am also saved from the punishment due to me for this crime. I cannot feel it is right or just to receive punishment that has already been paid for my wrongdoing. I do openly admit that I have done wrong, but you see, Your Honor, I also know that my punishment has already been dealt with personally by my attorney. And so I plead the blood of Jesus Christ. And as I do, I am admitting my sin, but I am likewise confessing openly without guilt or shame that the verdict for my sin, which is death by eternal statute of Romans 6.23, has already been received. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that washes the guilt of my sin and has vindicated me fully as I stand before you now. Your honor is a true and righteous judge of all. The anger of the prosecutor is kindled anew as he jumps to his feet in protest. But, but this defendant must plead guilty or not guilty. My investigation and surveillance reveals many accusations and there is much incriminating evidence that cannot be denied. This defendant must surely have to plead guilty. Judge, order, order. We shall have absolutely no further outbursts of this nature in this courtroom. For indeed, all things shall be done decently and in order and shall be judged with the true judgment according to the word of this court. In order to be completely fair and just, the defendant may plead as he sees fit. I will allow the defense to plead this special plea, providing a convincing reason is presented as to why this writ against the accused should be dismissed. Is the attorney of the defense prepared to make such a statement at this time? The defense attorney. Your Honor, my client, Wayward Sheep, is not refusing to admit the fact of his sin and the wrong that he has done. He has openly confessed that. Yet, he cannot deny that punishment has already indeed been paid in full. The occasion on which the payment of sin was duly made was the outcome of the case of People's Jury of Jerusalem versus Christ. I beseech you, Your Honor, and the indulgence of this court to recall the events of the historic case and acknowledge the costly price of the blood on the hill of Golgotha many years ago. Your Honor, on these grounds and statement of fact that my client is justified must fully be exonerated. I hereby ask that this case be dismissed. The defense now rests and rests secure in the true and fair justice of this court. Judge, well, as I have considered the facts presented and pondered the charges against the accused, it is my supreme authority that I am aware of the fact of sin which I do not condone in any degree. 
But as I look closely at all of the facts, I am keenly aware of the power of the blood of Jesus as the counsel for the defense is vividly brought to our remembrance in the courtroom today. This court both recognizes and acknowledges the power of the blood of Jesus to effect forgiveness, cleansing, and renewal. This is the plea the defendant has chosen. Therefore, I declare that punishment has been received, restitution has been made. I hereby pronounce the defendant not guilty. Prosecutor, but, 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 your honor, I object. Judge, case dismissed. Father, we thank you that our shepherd has laid down his life for the sheep. And Father, we rest secure that our shepherd is the door protecting us from these accusations of the prosecution. And Father, we thank you that the case has been dismissed and that we stand before you wholly clean by the blood of your Son. And so, Lord, we lift you up. And we thank you in Jesus' name.